Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership podcast, where the two uh, podcast hosts, Graham Brown and Jonathan Bowman-Burks, both sort of share stories. Um, and, and this one, we're pulling together it, the whole of our sort of 10 episodes that we've done. Mm. And lo- looking back over, you know, what does Inspiring Leadership mean? What about the integration of the different elements? What, Which ones sort of stand out for us? What have we reflected on? And and what what... What happens if you you're missing bits? So, Graham, what, what sort of thoughts come to mind for you about this this whole topic as you look back over it? Well, we've had quite a journey, haven't we? Mm. You know, there were a number of episodes, so much covered. We didn't just talk about inspiring leadership, but as you said, what happens when leadership goes wrong? I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, we learned a lot about leadership when it goes toxic, and I think you can probably know more about leadership when it's sort of dysfunctional. So those episodes were really good. I'm sure we're going to reference them today. Uh, I will add in preparation for this, and I'm not going to. I'm going to keep my powder dry a little bit, Jonathan. So just <laughs> <laughs> a military analogy again. I found three. There's three really big pieces of news this month, and they all relate to leadership. And one's related to climate change. Run, one's related to remote work, and one's related to AI. And I'm sure your mm. listeners probably all, this is coming up time and time again in their conversations. Mm. You know, what do I do about AI? You know, what's my position on it? So I'd be happy to share some of that and get your thoughts on it as well. Mm. Yeah, well, well, also bullying in the workplace. Uh, we had mm. Dom, Dominic Raab just uh, being removed from oh, yeah. his, his job. And we were going, oh, he wasn't that bad, really. Um, so let's, uh, let's have a look at that, that uh, aspect because people sort of see it a bit of sort of, um, muscular Christianity, or whatever they want to call it, in whatever terms, that you know, just being a bit strong. He was just, he was just, you know, he was just gritty. You know, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he was a bully. Um, so, yeah, um, why inspire leadership? The whole, the whole idea, um, going back a bit, that Lee, Lee and my wife Lee and I did all the research over a number of years about what makes high-performing teams, what makes inspiring leaders, mm. uh, and and what are the components that we find time and again in them? Where, where do they score higher? And, and we did the research with Dr. Ruven Baron, who's a fascinating guy, the Baron EQI. Uh, Ruven and I were hoping to catch up with Lee in Israel, but we never quite, uh, he was, as we were in the country, he was out of the country. But fascinating man who helped us a lot um, with, our, with our work and these quotients, these uh, moral quotients and so on, all the cues. And, and then a psychometric that we've got that uh, measures people's inspiring leadership and their 360 feedback. So those are quite informative for people to know whether others find them inspiring leaders uh, or whether they think they're greater than they are or actually humbler than they are and people go no actually they're better so uh, i think just briefly on that was, the statistics were quite interesting that there was no statistical difference between inspiring men and inspiring women you'd hope that would be the case but actually our research showed that to be to be the case which is very good but there was quite what do you a- mean difference in like the perception of them as a leader like inspiring uh, others the perception of them a leader and how they scored themselves 
uh, how they score themselves on the scales of, of the data on the components that we're talking about. But there was quite a difference between average and inspiring. There was a noticeable difference between those that people rated as sort of, yeah, they're, they're okay. Um, but the ones that were really inspiring do stand out. And and I know you and I have talked about the the dangers of the great man, the great woman leader. But mm. I've just been listening to um, the Russian Civil War in 1918 to 1921. Mm. Uh, and there was, you know, Trotsky, who appears in St. Petersburg, just as they're about, they're about to crumble to the white Russians. And he rallies them all to go and fight for the cause, even though they had no food for months, mm. um, and, and, and stop the white Russians in their tracks. One man. Just One through. man. So, so it was dangerous. It was dangerous. That's why he got he got he got an ice pick through his. He got an skull, ice pick through he? his ear hole as the as the uh, song goes. Uh, no more heroes anymore. <laughs> uh, was it who who sang that one? No more heroes. Stranglers. Anymore. The stranglers. Yeah, the punk rock stranglers. Uh, yeah, he got an, uh, he got an ice pick in his ear hole. Um, so so yeah, whether good or bad, mm. you know, individuals can make a huge difference. So I think more than ever. Mm-hmm. We need really inspiring leaders these days. We're in a, a turbulent time. There's a lot going on. And, um, you know, that's why inspiring leadership is important. It's not just an academic exercise. We need it to, for performance, to get things done, for countries to run, for families to feel safe. Uh, what's, mm. what's, your, what's your thoughts? Oh, yeah, for sure. We, we underestimate, don't we, the, the impact of one person that can have on a lot of people, you know, whether it's in an organization or, you know, it, you see it in these times of great change, you know, these leaders stand up and they, they garner, they rally, they, they're like lightning rods, aren't they? Mm. For the, 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 the zeitgeist, the feeling. And even within political systems, the same, because what the leader does then becomes the, the playbook, the, the green light. You know, when you have a leader who's effectively challenging the you know, the validity of a system and the laws, then it green lights all the, the minions, you know, normal people like you and I to do the same. And so, you know, that's why you'll get people up in arms and storming the Capitol, like we saw a few years back in the US, you know, an insurrection, because you, you have the CEO, a leader who says, actually, it's okay to challenge these laws, you know, the whole system is, you know, invalid. So that's the effect of a leader. And you then have that perpetuated through, you know, all the kind of coterie of advisors and the media around people. It's the same within a, a company, isn't it? That, that one person can have an effect. You know, it is just words, but the words that they say set the tone. Mm. And mm. that tone can change everything. Yeah. Even as you see in the Russian, you know, in the, in the, the war, mm. you know, hundreds mm. of millions of people. Yeah, I mean, one of the other people that we spoke about, you know, Nelson Mandela. Mm. And and if only he was around now in South Africa, as it's going completely to pieces, that you, you have one great person who gives hope and inspiration to people. Mm. Um, and then you have others who just take from it, rape and pillage the, the system, um, you know, store money in their mattresses in their homes to uh, from corruption things like that, and it's so tragic because yeah. it un undoes all the good that's that's gone on. Yeah. Um, and I think that the other thing that we were talking about is when when things go wrong. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, 
also leadership myths. I had a lovely session with Andrew Griffiths, Royal Naval Officer, who's also mm. a leadership colleague. And he said that there are a number of leadership myths that we're all told that this is so. Actually, mm. it's not. Um, and, and we've shared a few of those. We haven't actually called them leadership myths, but I think those would be quite interesting to talk about. But um, mm. before we do that, just, just thinking about this whole point of um, uh, that, that we're we're trying to get people to be inspiring and have these elements, these components. But what if one of the bits was missing? Does it mm. matter? You know, which which one's the most important? And, you know, are the others just nice to haves? I mean, I think particularly when MQ, moral question. Yes, that's what I was I, thinking. I, I, I think it, 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 when integrity is missing, everything unravels. And I, yeah. I, I was with leaders recently and... Um, they were talking about experiences they had. And it reminded me of one of the um, banking uh, CEOs I was uh, working with talked about the PPI uh, miss, miss uh, selling, that people were given this insurance they didn't need to mm -hmm. protect their um, whatever it was, a mortgage or something like that. And, and it, it got a lot of money for the bank. Mm. And they began to realize quite early on that this was immoral to be selling this, this insurance PPI to people. But yet at the same time, it was making them a lot of money. Yeah. And so they realized it was wrong, but they carried on doing it because it made them a lot of money. They didn't want to be the first one that stopped that, that uh, huge cash flow that was coming mm. into the bank, all the banks, many of the banks, uh, and somebody eventually, I knew the person who eventually called it, go, we can't do this. This is immoral. But only just before it came out, a bit like Nicola Sturgeon going, I'm just, you know, gonna, I'm finding I'm just gonna spend more time with my family um and my and my mother's motorhome. Um no no. Um get disappeared in the Russian sense. That's right. That that um just before just before the scandal hit, they decided to do something about it. But I, I think mm. But that more what was really interesting in that that moral episode was that the what we we dug into a lot of cases of toxic leadership or when it goes wrong in business and politics and there was never really you know a binary event where a line was crossed where people said you know before it was legitimate and afterwards it was criminal or immoral it usually is like a gray area isn't it and that's it's a creep isn't it yeah that's where it comes down to not necessarily the rules because often when you know these issues happen like mis-selling of ppi and there's numerous mis-selling of financial products over the last i mean i worked in the industry for for 30 years it never is okay this is wrong and this is against the law it's okay this is questionable mm. so then that requires a leader to take a stand and that's the moral quotient the compass if you like mm -hmm. to say that this is not right even though we don't have a law about it and they can take a stand but it takes somebody to stand up and do that in the face of you know share price yeah or yeah that, that's revolt the, from the board but every if, if we don't do it somebody else will do it like you yeah. know um uh subprime Tor subprime yeah. mortgages you're like you, you, or Tour de France. I know you're a cyclist, Jonathan. Oh, yes. Yeah. Buying a bike. There you go. Like, well, you know, I was doping. So everybody was doping. 
So, you know, like Lance Armstrong, was he a villain? Because everybody else was doing it. If he didn't dope, then he wouldn't have qualified for the Tour de France. You know, that, that moral stand is, is you know, questionable, isn't it? Because it's yeah. basically saying, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. It's okay. But you should know in yourself, isn't that? It's the moral quotient, isn't it? You know in yourself it's wrong. I think so. I think, I think this, this um, and, and, you know, when you let the compass needle drift, the, the, the true north, and it just, just a little bit, no, no one will notice, you know. He says, just this one. Uh, and 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 the and it, it's it's little by little you unravel. It's almost like getting hold of a thread in the jumper, and you just begin to unpull it, and and soon the zig things up, and you just got the the neck piece left. Um, it, it's the same with the the moral compass and doing the right thing. And take the PPI. You know, people in America said this is a, this is immoral and it's wrong, and you cannot sell PPI. But they in Britain yeah. carried on for about another year. But yet they'd seen it in America, but they went, oh, yeah, but, you know, let's carry on. It's too much of a gravy train for us to stop mm. it. Um, but So I, what's I, that, like a policy protection insurance or something? What is people that's are? right. Yeah, I think I yeah. think that's what it says, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It's kind of like so, selling phone insurance, isn't it? It's exactly. Like... It, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but they were selling it when people didn't need it, uh, and, and they weren't checking whether they needed it or not. You know, had someone taken you through that, had you been given the the option of of not paying for it? So I think it was always like stuck on as an add-on without actually people realizing they had a choice. Um, so there's there different ways of it being wrong. But uh, I think so. So what's the I mean, we always try to take this back to what's the practical tip for people listening? I just think we've got to check in with our own moral code and go, I find it useful now, and at times I've got it wrong, my, my moral compass, I've got it wrong, where in the rush to do things right and look good, you cut, cut corners. You just, you, and you begin to justify it to say, oh, it's okay because of this, you know, I've got to do well, so I'll, I'll just do this. Mm. And, and, and I think you almost need, what I found helpful these days is having almost like a, a mental team of your moral, your moral um, support team, like you know my my late father Nelson Mandela, um, you know Richard Danner, people like that, uh, John Griffin. Just imagine that my mother, that they were sitting around me, watching me as I made a choice on something, or did something, or said said I was going to do something and hadn't done it, or whatever it might be. And I go, would they have been proud? Would I be proud of what's going on? And and I think it's it's needing that moment. We all need that moment to check in with ourselves against some kind of some kind of benchmark, some kind of litmus test. Mm. What what works for you? Yeah, I like that idea of like a mental, you know, almost advisory board, isn't it? Mm, mm. And and if you look at how these leadership problems occur, and usually at the time their reference points are their own people that's the problem isn't it that they're looking at each other and those references points become detached from moral reality and i've mentioned it a few times in this podcast but go back to it in malcolm gladwell's book talking with strangers he talks about the holy fool now the holy fool is sort of an avatar an archetype your jungian archetype who basically appears in stories and like the Hans Christian Andersen 
emperor with no clothes you know mm. it's, the, it's the kid who sort of exists outside of the system and therefore doesn't play by the rules and Gladwell's example is to do with uh, again with like you know it's the story of the big short and all those kind of financial frauds where people have called it out and going back to Lance Armstrong the chap in question David Walsh was the Irish journalist who in the early early days of Armstrong's rise to fame was challenging the numbers he said look th this is impossible you can't go from you know where he was you know, last year to where he is now. Look at look his performance. It's just inhuman. There's something going on here. It's not right. And he was standing up at the press conferences and challenging it. And as a result of that, he got, you know, excoriated. He got excommunicated from the whole, you know, cycling community effectively. So he's the holy fool in that instance. But, you know, he was vindicated years to come when Oprah, you know, gave a platform for Lance to come clean and confess you know he, he was vindicated he was right and but for all those years he was saying this is not right this is not right this is not this is immoral something's wrong and he took all that flack so that's the challenge isn't it jonathan that is the people that do stand up and challenge things for the sake of the moral compass end up getting ostracized yeah yeah well i mean time and again in businesses that i know of um there's always the you know, friend of mine um, was a whistleblower of, of a, one of the big big uh, investment banks, and, and they've tried to nail his skin to the wall. Mm. And um, th what they rely on is people giving up after a while. They they try hard to fight the system, and they just throw more money than anybody can ever afford. More lawyers, everything at mm. them until the people go away or look at Donald Trump with his, um, you know, Stormy Daniels uh, paying, paying, paying people off. Um, and, and so it is, this is back to that sense of what's right and what's fair. It isn't fair that, that, you know, the rich and the more famous can either have people disappear or they can, if they're in a company, they can blacken their name. Mm. Um, and, and they just, those people are don't know they've been blackballed, or as it were, you know, blackballed. By the way, is when you're in a club and and everybody wanted to vote for you to join as a member, you 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 got blackballs and whiteballs, and you'd put the colour ball mm. you wanted. In. And if, if you got from, right. if you got one black ball in the bag, you couldn't join. Wow. You were blackballed. Wow, and and you were out. And I think I've seen this happen with people that they've called out unethical unhealthy dangerous behavior and and no one wants to know them um they're, they're just literally sent to um uh sent to coventry as they use the expression i mean they won't talk to them again that they uh you know they're they're, they're uh left on their own and uh, no one no one would speak to them i don't know where that expression is being sent to coventry i do remember once uh, I feel sorry guy. for the people of Coventry. I do, I do. It's a well, city they, in the UK for the listeners. Which, which got bombed by the Germans during oh, the war. Maybe that's why. And Churchill Churchill knew that the bombing was going to go and hit Coventry, but he couldn't because they the Enigma codes had cracked the, the code that told them that's where they were going to bomb, but he decided he couldn't let it come out because otherwise the Germans would know that they knew and that all the other uh, essential information so he sacrificed coventry is what whether oh. that's true or not that's the the um 
that's the legend with what there's happened. a lot of Churchill apocryphal tales aren't they which well I, I'm, I'm listening to him now about his interruption uh, his interruption is meddling in Russia during the Civil mm. War he hated the communists and wanted the white Russians to win I bet, but the, yeah. the white Russians and Cossacks were so disorganized so chaotic and so greedy themselves that they destroyed they ate themselves up because they didn't have one particular leadership team they all these different teams and eventually they lost even though the british and the americans and the japanese were involved yeah they're all involved the great game well they, yeah. you know i mean churchill a great example of leadership we only really hear the second half don't we like the first half of his leadership resume i don't think reads particularly well historically disastrous disastrous yeah the Dardanelles. A, a lot of meddling. I mean, you talk about South Africa and all that that went on down there as well. Yeah. So well, well, I mean, we don't talk uh, about it. Dieppe is where I'm going to. You and I were talking about. I'm doing a 500 kilometer ride to raise money for Help for Heroes and for the Inspiring Leadership Foundation. And uh, as you just told me, that's a long way to go. But it's it's called the Big Battlefield Bike Ride in June. Mm. But Dieppe was one of the ones where Churchill thought it was a great idea to send some Marines and a whole uh, invasion yeah. force to, to try and grab it. Decoy, it, it, it all it all went badly wrong. Um, wow. So so we got the moral component. What a start. Yeah. We got the moral component. Like that. Um, the, the, the other thing is this idea of if you do have one of the eight components, so there's, for those listening, if you haven't heard this first time, um, Inspired Leadership, you can see it on my website, jonathanperks.com, but uh, MQ, moral quotient, PQ, meaning and purpose, uh, health mm. and well-being, HQ, um, CQ, this cultural intelligence, this idea of decision-making you make and diversity and quality inclusion, uh, EQ, uh, resilience, brand, and then legacy. So these these elements, but what happens if one's missing? We've talked about what happens if if MQ's missing, but mm. I think I think the interplay of them is very interesting, Graham. So you and I love our endurance competitions, and I'm trying to mm. get fit. I was I was out cycling yesterday; just did 26 kilometers uh, on my new bike, and um, I thought this this used to be a really long distance for me. I'm going to be doing 100 kilometers, not just once, but five days in a row, and that's going to get. That's going to require a huge amount of endurance. You'll do it. It's all up here. Oh, yeah. No, all no, up no. here. Your resilience, resilience, RQ. It's all yeah. there. I will, I will definitely do it, provided that um, everything else functions. Um, I've, I've even got my tubeless tires with gel inside them in case I get a <laughs> puncture. It's got all the kit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the, the cycle You'll need shorts. a degree for all that nonsense. Yeah, it's the engine, though. The engine, like your engine's good, Jonathan. You know, might have to you know, swap out a few pieces of the, of the, the system. But otherwise I think mentally, you know what it takes, like you've done a lot of endurance. We've both done endurance races, you know, you know what, what is required to get to that level to do five, one hundreds, you know, it's not now, okay. I didn't know this thing about training and stuff like that. You've got that drilled into you. So now it's just applying that, you know, you're not going to be as fit as you were when you're 20, but mentally it's there. Yeah, I think in in some ways even more so. I mean, uh, we were talking about David Goggins and his two books. So, oh yeah, can't hurt me. And then the latest one, uh, never finished. And I think it's going to feel like this a bit on that cycle ride. Never finished. But yeah. uh, why is why is that health component so relevant to people in business? And I think it's um, this whole concept of the business athlete, which came up in one of the Harvard articles some years ago. Um, mm that we've got to look after ourselves, our health, well-being, 
our mental and our physical. You know, I, I even had, you know, because of yesterday's bike ride uh, in training, I was quite tired today because I hadn't, hadn't ridden for about two or three years. Um, and so I had a little power nap just now, which really mm. gave me that extra boost. Um, but athletes but, do that. They do. Yeah. They spend a lot of time sleeping. You, you certainly do. And, and I notice it when I don't have the sleep. And I think this is something that leaders are getting now. Many really good mm-hmm. leaders get the importance of this. So seven to eight hours or even nine hours of sleep is that's not the time in bed, but the actual sleep you get wearing wearable technology, like the aura ring or whatever it is that, that you need it. So like last night, for whatever various reasons, got to sleep at about one and got up at seven. And that's not enough sleep. I know it's not enough sleep. And I just huh. found I couldn't think well. And of course, when you can't think well, you then make some bad decisions, which mm. you then have to revisit. Have you ever experienced that? Oh. oh, yeah. I need my sleep. It affects your emotions, doesn't it? Like you have, I think somebody once described it. We talked about emotional intelligence as well in previous, you know, or in EQ, that the part about, what sleep does to your emotions. I think it's very tangible. Like every day you start and you, you, it's like pouring water into a glass and you know, you can drink it, you can empty it. And at some point your water overflows because that's all the sort of nonsense of the crises and the problems that other people's nonsense that goes into that glass every single day. But if you start that day half full glass, it means that I can only handle so much. And that's what happens. That's what I feel really tangible when my sleep is affected. You know, I'm snapping. I'm, yeah. I'm making emotional calls and judgments, which even after doing them straight away, I think actually that was wrong. That wasn't good. Yeah. But I can't control it like I could normally if I'm rested. Yeah. No, uh, it's so true. I mean, little things I, I was just doing, like I've got a, you know, a bulge in the wall of the tire of the car. And so this is only six, the tire is only six weeks old from another puncher. And I go, is it man- manufacturing fault? And, the, and you talk to them, they go, it's, you probably hit a pothole. And I go, oh, no. So you've got to, got to do it. So you've got to fill a form in and all that kind of And you just find yourself short. Mm. But, and I know the difference when I've had good amounts of sleep. Nothing really can, you can take on the world. And this is where the, the elements of the components of doing something on purpose, PQ, with good resilience, mm. because you've, with good health, but if you don't look after your health and your resilience, for, or you, you you push things so hard, resilient-wise, I'm going to keep going, keep going. But actually, that then affects your health because you've got no recovery time. I think mm. people are really getting this. And and you and I, particularly, that time, the eat, move, sleep, breathe, uh, prosper, mm-hmm. this whole idea of breathing and, and, and calming yourself emotionally and being focused on doing one bit of work. I find if... Like when I was tired this morning, I was doing a little bit of this and then a little bit of that and then going back to this. And and, and I wasn't I wasn't thinking well. And I think that affects us all in, in our work mm. in business as well, don't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. The impact of the emotion on decision making is significantly underestimated in both business and, and life. You know, that is the main driver of our ability to make decisions. I feel it. I think it might. If we go back to the the emotional the emotion episode, is that that study just to summarise it is that there was a famous psychological study which studied people who had damaged the emotional cortex of the brain, and they found that these patients 
they could function completely normal, but they couldn't make decisions about everyday life. Like, you know, do I drink tea or coffee? And, you know, we often think that people who don't have emotions might be better decision makers. We often think that they're much more logical. And yet the reality is, is that it's emotion that makes the decision. And logic often is the post-rationalization of it. You know, there has been a movement in recent years to kind of rewrite that a little bit. But, you know, for our generation, generations before, emotion was always seen as a, as a sign of weakness. You know, they would those days when you would hear on the news of a politician getting stopped driving for being tired and emotional cue, you know, it's a yeah. euphemism for being drunk, isn't it? Yeah, or women it was. being criticized for being too emotional. You know, that that's the reality that we've kind of, we're trying hard to leave behind that sort of narrative and realize actually how powerful emotions are in making decisions. And mm. I, I, there, there is a sort of a, you know, we have to somehow marry the two that, you know, how can we talk about emotions in that very positive way? And yet there are negative emotions as well, but yeah, not, you know, suppress them, mm. see them as a bad thing. Because they lead to um, poor decisions or good decisions. Um, now, you know, I think in decision-making and thinking, you need to allow your emotions to be there. If you, if you suppress your emotions, you stop thinking. Mm. But if you sleep well and you're eating a healthy diet and, you know, you're getting exercise and that kind of stuff, it's good. But I'm seeing a number of leaders who are making poor decisions. And, and our job is to make decisions. Lead, lead, mm, a leader makes it. decisions. That is I, either they're, yeah, either they're a decision maker or they're a decision evaluator. And I, I love the difference between that, that, that if you're really good at empowering and um, delegating to those who work with you without just abrogating and so that you, you know, nothing to do with me, your problem, but you explain it to them, you hand over the response. The responsibility is still yours, but you hand over the accountability to them. That um, when you're, uh, you're good at that, you can evaluate decisions once a month, once every couple of weeks, but you want decisions being made as low as possible. So people don't go, well, not me, mm -hmm. you know, bit like in in some of the very large organizations or in some bureaucracies or government departments they go well you know it's, it's not really my responsibility so i'm not going to do anything about it but it is that's all they do they make good decisions if they're good leaders but but if they're if they're not properly prepared and they're not looking after themselves they make bad ones and and the final thought i have before i just interested in your thoughts is um people taking care of themselves and, and they can work so hard and so long that they're not looking after that the boundaryless. So they, they, there's no boundaries with it. So they don't look after their families and their relationships and they find those crash and burn or, or they become such workaholics. They don't look after their health. And, and then they have, you know, some big problem with um, all sorts of things uh, to do with metabolic um uh, dysfunction and and unhealthiness and too much weight and you know they, they get diabetes or whatever it might be or various illnesses or cancers are triggered by just their lack of mm. looking after themselves or putting themselves constantly under pressure now we want a Stress, bit of pressure yeah. hermesis uh we want some pressure some pressure is good but constant mm. high levels of pressure is not good for you we've done that jonathan mm. stand guilty accused 
Yeah, we've done it. We, you yeah, know, yeah, we've yeah. lived through it mm. and kind of dealing with the consequences of it now. I mean, we've gone through the journey. On the, on the conversation about emotion and decisions and leadership, I want to share a, an, a news item that has surfaced, which is a little bit unbelievable, but I would like your opinion on this because okay. I think you've seen similar in different guises under different technologies. Okay, so the backstory to this is that there is an American digital marketing firm called Clearlink. That's of no consequences, but the CEO, James Clark, so remember that name, he recently went public in quite a high profile um, interview, which features on Forbes and Fortune. And this is what he was saying about uh, remote work and his team and decision making. So I'd like your thoughts on this. He said, some of our developers could be working for two different companies. And that's said in a negative way. We don't know. We hope that's not the case, but we don't know. Many content writers today are now exclusively using AI to write. I can do that in about 30 minutes of an eight hour workday. So what do we need to do? Let's put out 30 to 50 times our normal production. Now, bear in mind, this is the same guy who sent a memo to his employees who lived within 50 miles of the company's new headquarters in Salt Lake City, that they must start working in the office four days a week. And he even praised one employee for getting rid of her, I know this will hurt you as a dog lover, of her pet, such that she could meet the in-office mandate. And he said that most of his people, remote workers, <laughs> were not working hard at all and claimed that some had quietly quit but are taking a paycheck. Now, I don't know if this guy knows anything about social media, but news, bad news especially, travels fast. You've met people like this. How would you analyze this leader and particularly his emotional skills? Mm, well, of course, it's very interesting. O Office Optional is a book that I um, uh, read early on and got the author who's just gone out of my head right now but he was the ceo of a business that for three years before the pandemic they'd never uh they never had an office they got about uh 1500 staff in the in america larry english larry english thank you well done um and larry very nice guy and and he was sharing as the pandemic just started what they were doing and uh you know three times a year they come together for about two or three days they even have a band that, that meets up having never met before uh, apart from, you know, a third of the way through the year. And um, so Larry was saying that, you know, this is this is quite, you know, quite possible, it's quite healthy, uh, and, and quality of life will improve and production will improve. And and I think for, for a number it has. But then there's others that are beginning to realise that there is a cost to it for many organisations, that the new joiners don't get to meet anybody else, that, that some people... Uh, while many of the introverts are very happy to be at home doing their own thing um, and would like to have their own cubicle if they were in an office, th there is many benefits of people being together. Yeah. Um, and and um, I was just talking to a client the other day and um, generally working from home, but she said she really enjoyed the day when they're all together, a group of about seven of them, and they just were so productive. Yeah. And they they nailed stuff that would have taken about three weeks in a day um, but not only that, but there's there's all the social interaction that comes from swapping ideas and stories, picking up cues from people, the social cues that you don't kind of get 
and also the the trust building of uh, sharing a personal story about life and what's going on which in a zoom call uh for for an hour or 30 minutes you don't kind of cover uh unless you can organize it very carefully so I am a fan of remote work. I mean, in fact, in some ways, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, I'm now rather than being in my office in London. Uh, but then again, I was meeting people in face to face pre-pandemic. Now I do. I, I went. I went to Portugal uh, last week, and, and I had an incredible time for three days with uh, the, the CEO and the board of a, of a very successful, well-known German brand, and. Uh, the the work was incredible and we were together and we achieved so much that, that within i think we said within 24 hours we built an amazing trust from a group to a high performing team with a high level of trust personal stories shared that kind of stuff and i think there's much to be said for it you can't i, I think you can't do without human interaction mm. i think staying remote isn't isn't the way ahead yeah the leaders are, are struggling with this aren't they yeah because yeah they really are it's not like the, the the likely scenario is not either either, is it? No, it's it, a mix. It's a, it, it is a, it is a blend, and then of course people go, well, can I decide which you know, a couple of days a week, which ones I'm going to come in on, and and then they go, yeah, you, you know, decide which one you want, and so no one ever meets anybody else because they come into the exactly. office, yeah. the office is empty. Well, the whole idea of the office is going to change, isn't it? I mean, our, going back to James Clark, his, his sort of concept is a little bit archaic. It's top-down control. And yet, you know, maybe some of his gripes are legitimate, you know, about like really what he's saying is he doesn't know what's going on. Correct. This is an issue, isn't it? Yeah, and th this is, it, it depends on the level you are in the organisation. What I found in the feedback from the clients I'm with, if you're the boss and the top team you like to see what's going on it's that mm. being aware and being able to touch what you can control but if you're a, an employee generally you like to work from home on a time schedule that works for you so you don't have the commute anymore you can do some walk the dog take the children to to uh, play group or whatever it might be or to school walk them back but then the danger is you end up working the evenings and the weekend. Mm. And I've got my neighbor it has it works for an American company. And so, you know, five o'clock, no, six o'clock on a Friday night here in the UK, they were just kicking off in America on the, you know, on the, on the West coast. And they went, well, can you, you know, uh, get that to me in two hours time? Well, that would mean she'd have to work from six to late yeah, on a Friday night yeah. when, when they did it. So it does allow us to be more global but it requires people. So one of the organizations I'm working with, they're in Seattle, they're in New York, they're in London, they're in Poland, they're in the Philippines and uh, and so and Israel. And so when's going to be the good time? Yeah. And sometimes people are getting quite frazzled because they're working, trying to please all the different time zones. Mm. Um, and sometimes you have to compromise and say, for this week, we'll do it this way. And for this week, we'll do it that way. Mm. But good people, Jonathan, will figure it out. I think that, you know, like my thoughts are when it comes to leadership, we probably spend too much time worrying about the detail. And this is the hard part, you know, like how, what are we going to do? Like what days are we going to do and so on? It's hard. But if, you know, I all my sort of thoughts about hiring and, you know, times and, and work hours and things like that, with the right people, it works out. With the wrong people, no matter what you do, 
it won't work out. So whether you're in the office or at home with the wrong people, it ain't going to work out. Correct. And same with times, like we've given flexi times, or you know, it, it just won't work. I mean, maybe in the office with the wrong people, you can police them better, right? You can make sure that they're not burning the place down. And yet with the right people, whatever you do, it will work out. And that means it shifts the focus of leadership to finding the right people, which is a different skill set. You know, it's emotional skills. It's a lot of what we've talked about in leadership is a different set of skills as opposed to looking at what the content of their resume and CV is, right? Yeah. That's tough because even like, you know, the whole HR hiring process, the challenge for leaders, it's not there necessarily to pick the best people. It's there to protect the organization and make the less mistakes. So yeah. it picks the least bad people, right? As opposed to the best people. Cause like picking the best people, sometimes you'd have to take a risk. That's so very interesting. And HR won't do that. No. And as you were speaking, I was re- I wrote in three words as you spoke, discipline, trust, and attitude. That knowledge, skills, and attitude is often the three things that people are looking for. Have they got the knowledge? Do they have the skills to do the job? Have they got the right attitude? But always half for attitude was one of the advice I had from a CEO. And and, and I've really mm. seen it come to be true in the problems that my clients, when I'm coaching them, they're getting rid of somebody with a bad attitude. It, it's not that they're not knowledgeable. They might be making a lot of money for them, but they're toxic mm. and it, and it, it, it infects the rest of the team and there's there's not the psychological safety that you need to have a high trust environment and the other thing is in the way that you do your work and run meetings you do need a good discipline to it so what the team in portugal loved was i brought a a, quite a strict they felt it at first before they knew how it's going to work quite a over-engineered discipline and timekeeping to the mm. meetings, 40-minute meetings, everybody's going to speak for a minute, and then, then we have the CEO making the decisions, actions, next step. This has been very, very overstructured. But then they went, wow, this is great, because everybody was heard, mm. everybody was involved, you had to be succinct and specific and sincere, and then you got to make a decision. So you didn't have a meeting before the meeting and a meeting after the meeting, because they hadn't made a decision in the meeting. And they mm. went, this is really powerful. It's amazing what you can achieve in 40 minutes. So I think discipline, trust, and attitude, if I was to give anybody advice with the way you run your organization, and if <laughs> if you can't trust someone, mm-hmm. they've got, they got to go. Uh, yeah. You know, if trust is gone, the person should go. Now, okay, we all make mistakes. I've made more than my fair share. Should I be fired <laughs> at my first mistake? Hopefully not. But if there's a consistent theme of a lack of trust, mm. then then fool on you because you're letting people get away with it. And no one likes that. Everybody else knows about that person. And you're going, mm. why have you taken so long to get rid of them when we can't trust them and they're not reliable and their attitude sucks? Mm. It's hard. I mean, this is a tough call for leaders though, isn't it? It's not easy to get rid of people these days no. based on attitude. They've got to go through the hoops. One of the, the challenges for leaders and for anybody else in the organization, I suppose everybody's a leader to some degree now, first time leader or self leaders, whatever it is, it's not a title, is it? Is trust in these environments. And especially if you're working remote or hybrid, one of the things I tell my team is over communicate. We don't have 
the benefit of what you say, Jonathan, like the, the coffee break where we can sit and have a chat or, you know, like Friday beers with the team where we can kind of let off a bit of steam. We don't have that because we are remote first as a team. And therefore what you take for granted working in that environment is not there. You know, I can't just lean over the table and go, Jonathan, do you want to go and grab something, get a sandwich together or something, get coffee? And we'll just have a chat. How's it going? And how's the cycling going? We don't have that. So you have to make the effort to over-communicate. And very small things, it's like you have to show. One of the things we use Slack in the organization, which is like a messaging tool. I say to everybody, it's like when you're at work, whatever hours you work, when you decide you're at work, turn it on and say you're online. And when you're home, even if you're at home, you know, when you're out of work, turn it off. turn the status away it then lets us know when you're available and when you're not if you're there doing office hours and you're offline it's like what's going on where is he you know that's no different from the guy at the office who's always like where's he gone to he's like sloped off somewhere right Mm. we have to think about that and over communicate and build trust and leaders have to do that as well you know we have to show what is expected we have to say look this is the reality we are in now we don't have that luxury so we have to take the practical steps to communicate with each other and I, I, overdo yeah. it. Nothing is under communicated. Yeah, it is a whole interesting area about the amount of social media you have. But but can you trust someone? And um, uh, one of the cases with a leader and there was a toxic, toxic individual in the team, the leader was rather blindsided by them because that person sucked up to them mm-hmm. and that they made a lot of money for the business. So he he forgave them. For their toxic behavior and the fact they weren't living the values of the organization and as i began to do the 360 feedback with people and i talked to them about um you know their strengths and their areas to develop and their 360 you know, what feedback they'd had and and how they saw the team what, what was working well about the team and what would make it better <laughs> you get a really good view and i was able to play back to the ceo talk to all 14 of your team and this is what i see Mm. And the HR director listened in as well. She went, you've nailed it. How did you get to get this view? You've only been with us, you know, a couple of weeks. I said, people will speak to an independent third party. This is why 360s, verbal 360s are so useful. <laughs> and they'll say much more than they will to the boss. Mm. And so when the boss, they went, ah, oh, so this, this particular person is a problem. Yeah. So he then goes and talks to a number of the others about this person. You know, what should we do? Oh, no, no, they're fine. They're... So they, they backtrack. Because they talk to the CEO. Of course, they won't say what they really think. This is a bit of a problem for the CEO. Why won't they tell him what they really think? But they'll tell me. Hmm. So I think I think 360 is incredibly hmm. useful by an independent party to, to get the view of who is really pulling their weight and who do the others feel? Why is the leader letting this person, like Dominic Raab, bully other people um, and get away with it? Um, but we all know it and they see the leader as weak if the leader doesn't deal with the issue and just sits on it and forgives that person time and again. But they wouldn't forgive anybody else, but they just they just they're blindsided to that mm. particular person and they forgive them their many inconsistencies and their lack of integrity and their bad behavior and their toxicity and the way they treat other people. Not acceptable. Mm. This is the problem for leadership is it blindside mm. blind spots that's why you need your mental sounding board 
bit but, of reference but, points. I think so. But I, I'm interested. You've done some rather good posts recently. I, I do enjoy uh, reading what you put out. It's it's always succinct to the point, but but thought provoking on AI. Yeah, art, artificial intelligence. It's it's yes. become quite a topic for you. And what what is the world going to be like as we've already started? I mean, I use ChatGPT quite Wait a bit. No, um, let me get my crystal ball out. Yeah, yeah. Dig it out, blow the dust off. Who's going to look after the MQ aspects of AI? Wow. You know, it's who's very... deciding? Will it decide itself? What what wow. is morally correct? You know, isn't there that experiment where you've got the railway track divides and you have a lever that you can pull and the train's due to go down the track and it will drive over someone who's tied across the tracks and kill them? <laughs> or you could pull the lever and it will no i think it's it's going down the track and it's going to kill about five people you can pull the lever and it'll go down it's the track crash and it'll kill, into a it'll kill school one bus person. isn't it yeah yeah but but you, you know how do you decide which is the right one to do right would even human beings be able to do that though that's the thing isn't yeah. it yeah you know if you look at a good example is like with driverless cars like like people say the the risk factor of having driverless cars but on in terms of mileage done they're far less risky than human beings. Like driverless cars don't drink alcohol and drive, right? They don't take drugs and drive and they don't, you know, get into road rage at the lights. Yeah. So, you know, all of that is not factored in. So, you know, the, these sort of thought experiments about, oh, what about AI if it does this or this? Now we need to take them into account, but we can't forget the fallibility, you know, the fallibility of the human being as yeah. well that as well and to the point about ai i'm glad you brought this up because i did actually graduate with an ai degree many many years ago in did 95. You? 95. I'm, impre I'm impressed sir. you were ahead of the crowd well two ahead <laughs> i've waited 28 years for this jonathan this coming of age like you know waited my time for ai to i mean the, the interesting thing so why i feel at that time I'm not regretful of studying AI is because because of the computational power of AI in 1995, and bear in mind that's before Netscape Navigator and AOL Online and all that, you know, Windows 95 was cutting edge. Because it was in that era, much of the talk of AI was philosophical. Mm. You know, it was about intelligence. It was about morals. It was about epistemology, you know, the study of knowledge and stuff like that. So, that study is not taught today because it's all very application based, you know, machine learning and algorithms. So they haven't, the people doing it haven't really thought about the philosophy of AI because they didn't need to. They weren't sort of sitting around twiddling, waiting for the computers to catch up. But that's kind of where I came from. But there has been some really interesting um, developments recently. Obviously, ChatGPT has, is a game changer. There, there is a report which your listeners might be interested in checking out by Mercer, obviously the pharmaceutical life company um, aimed at chief people officers. So this would be relevant to CEOs as much as anybody else, because they are the chief people officer in many mm. ways. Uh, it's called the, the chief people, it's called the chief people officers quick guide to generative artificial intelligence. Now generative AI is like chat GPT or some of the artistic ones that can create images, you know, these sort of fake images of Boris Johnson getting arrested. So have you that one done the rounds on social media? I haven't seen that Very, one. Yeah. It's been carried away by these three coppers and it, it looks so real, Jonathan. It's amazing. And basically somebody's just typed in, like create a picture, a photo 
of Boris Johnson getting nicked by three policemen. Wow. <laughs> it's, just, it's phenomenal. Like, I've, this, seen, I've seen the Pope with his um, white ski jacket. Day, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's, uh, we're just at the beginning. I, it's really interesting, this report. It, you know, some of the, I'm not going to give away all the findings. Your listeners can go and find it on the Mercer website. But, you know, they're talking about the medium term considerations and the interesting ones. This is all about leadership, effectively. Um, top one is optimizing talent. So it's like, you know, building your people. You know, how do you nurture the right people? We've just talked about that. The second one is organizational culture. That is leadership, isn't it? About how do you create, set the tone? That's what we talked about. Um, you know, and then it's about the, the culture of innovation, like you talked about getting people together and, you know, creating those ideas and that's all changing. But what I found interesting is the opening lines of this report, which is like no messing around. It said in just a few weeks, chat GPT has transformed the way we work, learn and create. Mm. That's like not messing around as a statement. And that is just a few weeks, like. If we did this podcast, and I hope we do in a couple of years, looking back, well, you know, it's going to be phenomenal what the impact on leadership is going to be. Mm. Mm. What, do you, what do you tend to use ChatGPT for? I, I've got the version five and I subscribe to it. What do you tend to use it for? A lot in our business. Um, it goes back to the, uh, the way we use AI in our business, like people, because we do podcasts, people say, oh, you're going to use podcasts to create AI voices. And, you know, there'll be Graham and Jonathan talking with, in AI, it would just be made up. And that's possible, but it won't be real, right? We, like, I'm, I'm very much inspired by the Churchill anecdote, apocryphal tale, when he was asked to defund the arts, you know, to fund, you know, the war effort. I don't know how true it is, but it's kind of like through the writings. And when he was asked to do that, he turned around and said, then, then what are we fighting for? Mm. And the, the moral story in that, I feel, is that you know, what is the point of automation? It's not necessarily automation for automation's sake, but it's automation to elevate the human condition. Like if we can take away work, then we can achieve that peak flow state. You know, that's what gets in our way. Mm. Work, you know, tasks stuff to-do lists mm. so we use it a lot for that a lot of automation in the background you won't see it um, you know you won't be amazed by what it does but actually what it does does is pretty it's like electricity and the scientist michio kaku the astrophysicist said that ai is the new electricity so imagine what electricity did to human society it transformed it not just society but the way we worked education everything you know gender roles it changed everything so ai will have that impact without us really knowing it. we're going to think it's going to be robots and you know like robocops and all that kind of stuff but what's happening is all the stuff underneath that we're not really seeing that is going to impact us and that's what leaders have to know because you know it's easy to talk about oh it's gonna you know we're gonna have ai robots policing the streets and doing all these kind of things that's not a realistic scenario in the next uh, few years the reality is it's just going to be a lot of stuff under the hood but it's fascinating it's a fascinating area and i'm i'm really pleased that you've sort of come into your own uh, in this whole topic of ai and, and i th i think it is fascinating particularly when you think about the, the wasteful time that we spend trying to <laughs> 
look stuff up or whatever it might be. I found it very helpful to get sort of quick answers to any mm. questions really pretty much that I ask, apart from things that are trying to talk about something that's happened today or tomorrow, because it's it's research went up to about, was it September 2021? Uh, but then it, it does actually give you answers about things in the last two or three years as well, mm-hmm. even though it says it's not got the data because it, it does it. I, I find it great on things like book reviews and stuff like that and the top it's tips from, from a whole book. I was hoping to be able to write my book from a collection of the words of my podcast. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. eventually I will, but it can't do it at the moment. And, it, and its accuracy, it, it's getting better and better, you know. Uh, it, it knew all about my father and um, wow. him being killed in the air crash. He got the aircraft wrong, but apart from that, pretty much yeah. else. Was, Those are called hallucinations. Correct. That's what it's called. The Is it? The technical term. It hallucinates a lot. We're not talking ayahuasca. Yeah. We're talking like it makes stuff up because it yeah. doesn't know what's real and what's not. Yeah. yeah. I would say the interesting thing, where we're going next with this, Jonathan, for your listeners as well, for leaders who are kind of trying to understand and get their head around it, Chat GPT is like we can see it tangible, like Jonathan uses it, like lots of people are using it that aren't, you know, data scientists. The next step is what's called auto GPT. Mm-hmm. That is going to change a lot of things. That auto GPT, for those that don't know, is like it's like a next level of GPT, Chat GPT. What it does is it takes the same underlying technology of Chat GPT from OpenAI, the company, and it creates automated bots. So what you can do with ChatGPT, you can type in and say, give me like 10 suggestions for planning a wedding, right? And it will give you, you know, what you can do. What AutoGPT can do is actually plan the wedding. It can mm-hmm. take that and it's connected to APIs, interfaces, the internet, email addresses, and start doing it for you. Now, that is something that leaders have to know because there are a lot of jobs out there that are really just doing filling boxes, you know, they might be a lawyer, but a very well paid box filler. But think about it, that is going to fundamentally change work. Auto GPT is the beginning, but chat GPT is just kind of like the play thing for us, right? Mm. Wow, I think that's really interesting because, um, you know, doctors in, in the surgery or GP mm. chat, chatting to you most of the time, they're, they're on the keyboard, uh, yeah. filling in things and not looking at you. And the hope is that they'll actually be able to, as they're talking to you, it'll be recorded on, it'll come up on the screen, what you're discussing. Uh, and then it will come up with some solutions of the right kind of pills and uh, requirements and what what prognosis might be from your symptoms of, of what your illness is caused by and therefore what's required, all the options. And, and I think that's going to be an improvement. And as you say, accountants and lawyers, um where you're expected to be an expert on family law let's say going mm. back to to the torrid time i went through with the divorce um but it will know the latest law on everything across yeah. the whole of the country it will know everything where some of them they don't know the stuff or they spend hours trying to charge you for their time you're being charged mm. for te- for 10 minutes mm-hmm. whereas this thing can do it in 10 seconds yeah and it's more accurate i bet yeah they probably yeah. can't make the emotional judgments, the empathic decisions. No. Which are going to be different, right? But then, then again, if, if, if I honestly tell you, many of the lawyers couldn't make empathic decisions. <laughs> and doctors as well, I bet. As no, well. no. I mean, this is, this is, um, this is the case that uh, many of them are high IQ, but low EQ. But 
yeah. but uh, Auto GPT will have much greater it's going to IQ, change everything. much greater IQ than than many of these people who think they're smart. Um, and and in that world, it's like I think you've touched on it. Like, what about love and what about life mm. and what about relationships and will we have more time for um, to elevate the human condition and and how will this affect our work? But I. I do think, and bringing this back just in the last few minutes to inspiring leadership, what will we want our leaders to do? Mm. To be, I remember one leader in one of the, the big banks, um, he would do deep dives in the bank and everybody would scatter to get as much information as they can for him. So if he asked them real detailed information about about their bit of the business they knew all the answers well what a waste for about three weeks yeah. beforehand well if he wants the answer the person would just go okay here's the answer uh yeah. GPT, you know you don't need you me can to actually go. do that you know there's there's a feature on chat gpt or there's <laughs> apps that have been developed which actually connect to all your documents oh really and you can talk to your documents it's crazy as a concept. So effectively, that is already happening. You know, you so for example, let's say you've got ten thousand PDFs of contracts, or you know, in the financial services, or the, you know, the the key illustrations that they have for clients. You could just talk to them; they will tell you what's going on. Wow, that's phenomenal. You think of that? That's somebody's job. Yeah, and now. also it makes you think about access to that data, because mm. of course it's not secure at the moment. And do you give it access to all your documents? and the confidential information on your clients. Yeah, it's already very, happening, isn't it? Was it very, Samsung? All Samsung's developers were caught using chat. Because one thing actually, and I've used it for, ChatGPT is really good at writing code. And that's something that's interesting because, you know, it's actually much, much better at writing code than I ever can, right? And it can just get it straight away. Even at the most basic level, if you use Excel, Google Sheets, you know, you've got those formulas and they're a little bit difficult yeah. sometimes. You can actually ask ChatGPT and it'll give you it. And nine times out of 10, it nails it. Yeah. And so what was happening? Samsung, obviously the mobile phone company, the developers were actually going to ChatGPT and putting in their code and saying like, can you write this for me, this app? But what they didn't realize is actually ChatGPT uses that as its learning set so that then becomes public information. Yes. And I think That's a lot of uh, my, my, my son-in-law is a developer uh, and, and, and he's you know, a clever guy uh, and, and feels secure for the future. But I don't think he is secure if ChatGPT can <clears throat> write the code better than he can. Yeah. And a, a fraction of the cost. Yeah. Well, so certainly that, for the next generation, it's questionable, isn't it? For kids to, you know, gener getting into the workplace now, if you've got kids who are graduating you know, they need to think about, like the doctors, they need to think about what are the skills that we will need because there'll be a bit that AI can't do, which is like double down on that, the human part. You talked about what about love and what about, I know, you know, you think, what does that mean to business? But that's it, isn't it? It's not necessarily love, but it's the skills, isn't it? It's the vulnerability, the empathy that ChatGPT or any AI doesn't have because it hasn't felt it, it hasn't lived, it hasn't lost hasn't you know lost somebody understand the suffering of a human being mm -hmm. you know if you see an employee suffering like chat gp is going to think differently to an to a human being because the human being understands look there are rules but i understand that in this case i'm going to make an exception you know and chat gpt can't do that yeah and that's where we need to double down you think, imagine a doctor doing that 
you know, can you imagine, a, you know, a developer doing that? They're going to have to think differently. What is that sort of elevated state, that peak mm. state of human existence that we need to become as leaders? Well, Graham, this is this is a fascinating topic, and I think it's a nice way to end this particular series for now. Mm. Um, and we're going to look at for other occasions where you and I can collaborate and have some guests on and chat with them. But I just want to uh, appreciate you in the end of this one on inspired leadership that um, you are, for me, what I appreciate is is the the breadth and the depth of your interest and knowledge in a whole range of topics, whether it be about AI or endurance training or leadership or just um, global issues. I, I really, I really value and appreciate that in you. You're a good friend. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it certainly has been a journey, hasn't it? And hopefully chapter one, mm. it's not the last time. When you invited me to do this with you, I was, you know, curious at first. I mean, we, we hit off in the first time we did the podcast together. And then we thought we'd do this together. And yeah, this is going to be really interesting, but it's grown. Like I've learned about you um, and your adventures have inspired me. Maybe you know, inspired me to kind of raise my game a little bit. Um, especially on the, the the endurance side now that the gauntlet is laid down. <laughs> but I appreciate all of that. I've I've had a great time and I've really enjoyed your company and you know, I've enjoyed sort of your it's refreshing your whole sort of mindset and attitude towards learning and challenging yourself. It's not sort of challenging in like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, break through and I'm gonna do hundred K and then two hundred K and then three hundred K. You know, uh, we know those people, right? It's more about I'm gonna make myself more and more out there and vulnerable like i'm sort of almost living vicariously a little bit through you seeing you just ahead of me like mm -hmm. doing all these things like you know you went out to the jungle in peru was it peru mm -hmm. you know and then you like did the hoffman um method mm -hmm. you know you that i mean that's quite life-changing for you but there's been so many things in between as well jonathan it's like i feel like i'm kind of i'm just observing but I appreciate all of that because I've really been inspired by it. I mean, hence the name of the podcast. But it's not like you're just interviewing inspiring people. You are it. You are doing it. You're living it. You're actually out there and doing it. And that's just been, yeah, what a ride. I really enjoyed it. And I hope there's more. Yeah, there's going to be a hell of a ride. And uh, when I when I cross that line, when my life ends, um, there'll be a, a squeal of, uh, of tires and burning rubber. <laughs> And I go, hell, what a ride. What a I don't ride. Hear, don't, don't put it in the same context, like tires yeah. and, and ending your life, because <laughs> you've got a few rides to do yet. We Jonathan. have. We have. Yeah, don't, no, that's, don't that's jinx one. it. No, no, no. Live life uh, as you mean to live it. And um, I'm going to make the most of every day because I'm very you blessed. Are. You're doing and, it. Uh, time with you is special. So thank you. Thank and you. thank you to, uh, to our listeners for. Uh, uh, entertaining our our exchange of ideas and hopefully some useful tips that people can take away to think about their own lives and how how you can be that everyone listening how you can be more inspiring leaders to make a difference in the world um one day at a time one person at a time so thank you great yeah thank you so much So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, 
or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.